0: We have a guest that I hope you find as interesting to listen to as I hope to find interesting to talk to. This young man is a Persian-Canadian filmmaker. He's a Vancouverite. His name is Mustafa Kashfari, and he has made the world's first feature-length film about COVID-19 right here in Vancouver. Mustafa, good morning. Welcome to CKNW.
1: Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I hope everybody's safe uh, wherever they are. And uh, it's an honor to be on your show.
0: Well, it's good to have you with us, Mustafa. Now, the idea about making this movie came to you back in January. So, this is all 2020 stuff. This is all brand new. Uh, and w- I- I'm-, I'm interested in where you got the inspiration uh, in mid January to put this whole thing together in the first place.
1: Yes, it was early in January before it was a pandemic. And at the time, it was just known as the Chinese or Wuhan virus, and nobody thought it would come to Canada or anywhere else. Yeah. So uh, we made. A f- I was in the elevator reading the news about Chinese tourists being attacked globally, and I was. I thought, you know, I'm in the elevator, and I, as an independent filmmaker, I had to think outside of the box. So I decided to literally make the film in the box, and it became a film that uses coronavirus as a symbol and metaphor for uh, racism and xenophobia. Interesting. So, and, uh,
0: yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't. I, I just wanted to talk to you about uh, about the xenophobia and racism thing because I mean that was, and I remember it quite distinctly. And I, I just wanted for your comment, Mustafa, to to, to ask you about this because. Clearly, it resonated with you to the point that you decided you were going to make a film about this. The government of Canada also picked up on this Wuhan virus, China virus stuff very early in the game. And some would say, and I read a piece in one of the Toronto papers just the other day, that they wasted time at the beginning in terms of preparing us for the virus by concentrating on the xenophobia and the racism and going to Chinese restaurants and bending over backwards to impress upon Canadians that this is not an excuse or a cover for uh, racist behavior. And during that exercise did nothing by way of preparing the country for the virus. So even though their hearts may have been in the right place, uh, that, that, that set the government back a week or two. Do you agree with that?
1: Yes, I think the uh, a film is not here to question the origin of the virus, but the origin of hate that uh, resides in different forms in human beings. And I think uh, it's not a documentary film; it's a drama film. Yeah. And uh, for us, it's not uh, about like you know um, questioning where the virus comes from and uh, to, you know discounting the virus, but it's more about now the virus is here. Uh, you know, as humans, you are all fighting. You're, 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 there are a lot of nurses who are uh, from Asian backgrounds and have nothing to do with the virus. Sure. And there are doctors and people, you know, at the grocery shop who are helping us. And those are being, you know, targeted. You know, and just a few days ago, I heard the news that, uh, you know, a Chinese uh, origin nurse who's Canadian uh, was spat on. And the film is more about, like, fear of each other, whether it's a virus or there's always an excuse in the world to fear other people that has nothing to do with the virus, you know. We are not questioning, the, you know, um, you know whether is the government of China is responsible. not. this is not a political film, but it's a humanitarian film that questions that why people who have nothing to do with the virus are being discriminated. You know, in this uh, case, there is a woman who gets into the elevator, and she doesn't speak English, and she's a newcomer, and we assume she has a virus, and people start mistreating her so in the in the film, we don't know if she has it or not yet, right but the idea of like you know just misjudging people you know because I think the whole movie questions our behavior during this hard time because long after coronavirus is gone, our battle for racism will continue um as human beings, and you know whether it's the Chinese virus and where it came from and how we should have stopped it has nothing to do with what we should do now as a society as Canadians um you know to stick together. And, uh, you know, to fight it together, whether you're a Chinese Canadian or Persian Canadian or wherever you're from, this is a virus that doesn't know any race, doesn't know any religion and we have to come as one together to fight it, and that's what the movie is about.
0: Excellent point, excellent point, indeed. Of course, it hasn't helped in terms of the message of the film that uh, um, some individuals, for example, the president of the United States, have taken uh, the the tack that, yes, uh, in order to assign blame, rather uh, unnecessarily, he's been calling it the China virus, which is also permission for many of his people to carry on with that same Point of view, and it's not very helpful at all.
1: Yes, definitely. I think um, adding fear uh, wouldn't help the situation right now. Um, you know, we all know it's very already difficult situation for everybody. So why make it more difficult by making this judgment and assumption on people who again have they are just ordinary people and have nothing to do with the virus. Many of them are at the front lines and you know fighting for us, and many of them are working at the grocery helping us. You know, with our daily. Need so I think the question is just like uh, it's, it's not the political film that would question the political decisions that were right. made at the time, right. but what, the ordinary people who just like us are victims of like this virus, but on top of that they're victim of another virus which is racism and it's like it takes a different form. And I think. People on their um, fear, they show their true colors. And I think uh, the good thing about Canada, you always done the right thing in, you know, very most difficult circumstances. And as filmmaker, I'm proud. I didn't make this film a zombie movie that just adds fear, but I made it as a symbolic film, uh, you know, to fight racist and xenophobia that is not justified and is... uh, I think, as you know, it's the first film in the world, too. So at the time, again, we didn't know it's going to be well, yes. such a big pandemic, and it's, it was the intention was behind it was right. And I think, again, just like anything else, uh, we cannot judge a film by its cover, and we cannot judge people also by their color. So once uh, we've seen, there are a lot of plot points and twists that uh, the movie, you know, the message is much deeper than just coronavirus, and I hope when people see, they can judge it for themselves. But again, uh, as Canadians, I think we, you know, the cast and crew came together, and they Had we all independent filmmakers? We wanted to give it a really strong message Mm -hmm. that it's still relevant. And again, uh, I think the film would be still relevant because a lot of people you see in the elevator are uh, characters that you see now today. Like, I imagine what would have happened if it became a pandemic. What kind of people would you know, what people would do, how they would show their true colors. And some people are good, some people are bad, and some people you know take advantage of the situation, some people help each other. And those people actually, their predictions that came through, and we see. Some of them in the society, there are people you know now that uh, under the fear of corona um Basically, they have to make very difficult moral choices. Yeah. And I think that's what the film is about. We all have a moral choice, you know, every time we go out, you know, whether it's like, you know, uh, taking care of each other, uh, being cautious, you know, or, you know, being selfish or not when it comes to grocery shopping. There are a lot of things that we're doing every day and we have those moral choices. So the movies, there to question those moral choices. And because it's one shot, yeah. it feels real. So we feel like we are in the elevator with the characters and we feel like you, we are.
0: Uh, basically taking making some moral choices with them. ...Fox with you, joined on the line by Mustafa Kashvari. Mr. Khashvari is a Vancouver filmmaker. He has written and directed the first feature-length film about this current pandemic. The movie is called Corona. Now, Mustafa, you were talking about the how the inspiration for this movie came to you while you were in an elevator reading stories about the negative impacts on uh, Chinese Canadians and uh, Chinese people around the world as this virus was coming to be known worldwide back in January. So you decided, uh, and and as you said, uh, being a filmmaker requires a person to think outside the box. So there you were on an elevator reading this story about how the the, the negative impacts of the virus around the world, especially on, on Asian communities, especially the Chinese community. And so you decided to make the film... In an elevator. So, uh, and you had not the world's biggest budget. This was not uh, uh, universal pictures or anything backing you up. So how did you go about doing the, uh, did you actually construct an elevator? Yeah, I
1: think uh, at the time we were a really small film, so I always say I'd rather be a small film with a big message than a big film with no message. You got it. And uh, I think we, uh, with us, we, uh, we build a studio. Uh, within a, a month of conception of the idea, um, I produced the film, and we, we finished shooting the film actually on Valentine's Day. So if you really think about it, within a month the film was done, and it's thank- I'm thankful because the cast and crew were amazing, and uh, we did the movie in one uh, take, so there is no cut in the film. It took us 70 takes to get
0: the right uh, oh, shot. And, so wait, wait a second. Yeah. Let, me just, let me just back you up a second because this is, this is the part that's kind of amazing, especially in today's super rapid editing uh, yeah. environment in which we live, the multi-edit all shots and all of that. This movie was done in one shot. In other words, once the movie starts, there's no editing. It just, the camera moves as the character and the lines move, the dialogue changes, the camera follows it, etc. So it, how many, how many times did you have to, to shoot it before you got it right?
1: Almost 70 times. 70 yeah, takes. Oh boy. Yeah, exactly. So, And the, the whole shooting was the three days. So we had one day of like rehearsing and Two days of shooting, but I mean, we were very, very lucky because the whole idea of not having enough time for actors to put that pressure and the stress, which you see it in a film, that uh, you feel like you're trapped in the elevator with someone who might have coronavirus. So that is stress of shooting help with the, you know, the stress of like characters. And uh, it's uh, as the audience, you think that you are with the characters in the elevator. There's exactly. Time is real, yeah. And then uh, you yourself feel trapped in the elevator with them, and that's. That that's the beauty of it because the, the elevator is kind of a symbol of the society we live in. Yeah. And we're all sharing this right and, and we all make moral choices every day and, you know, when the, the fear comes and it spreads faster than virus, you have to make very difficult choices, you know. Um, and, um, you know, characters are from different walks of life. So You have a black guy, you have, you know, a, you know, a white guy, you have Asian guy, you have, you know, people someone is rich, someone is poor, you know, depends on what level of the building you live in, you have represent a different level of society in terms of status, and there are a lot of people who actually usually don't fit in the same society together, but they have to, you know, tolerate each other for the next hour or so uh, where there's a coronavirus, uh, you know, uh, suspect, and uh, again, the Chinese woman doesn't speak in English, and they don't speak Chinese, she's a newcomer, and we don't know anything about her, so it becomes even more interesting when they get trapped, there's a pregnant woman, there's a guy who owns the building, there's a tenant who owns rent to the guy for past few months there's a black guy who's fixing the elevator there's a white supremacist who you know um, making judgments there's a teenager who's made you know uh, making rumors and there's like very interesting characters in the elevator that uh, usually, uh when they get trapped, it becomes very really interesting how they react to the
0: situation. And the and the, that's that's the the premise. The premise is everybody they're just going for an elevator ride, going about their daily business. And all, and okay. you know, when you get on an elevator with people, you don't pay too much attention. And, and these okay. days, you're almost uncomfortable to be on an elevator with another person. Okay. But it, you know this. Uh, and I, I wanted to ask you though about the development, because as you took seventy takes to get this thing right, uh, as yeah. uh, and so there would be some improving going. Going on along the way, as the dialogue would change and and people would get more into their roles and, and that sort of thing. I was I wonder though, as the reality of the COVID nineteen pandemic became more and more apparent, did that affect the people making and starring in the movie as they came to understand exactly what it was they were talking about better?
1: Yeah, I think uh, when we were filming, the film it was mid-February, so still there were no restrictions in Canada. Of course, right? No, uh, nobody. But uh, we could see what's be... going on in China. Yeah, we could see what's going on. So I, I made it so in the movie there is already a pandemic. So mm-hmm. I kind of made a prediction that it would be a pandemic, which yes. unfortunately became true. But uh, I give the uh, I give room to uh, the character to to um, the actors to improvise and mm-hmm. really get into their character, so it become really interesting because a lot of say, things they would say would be based on fear or based on, you know, what their character would say, which sometimes would be very rude or very nice or like, you know, uh, and then the, how they reacted to each other would be really interesting because they don't know what the other person might say or not say. So the whole uh, idea of like uh, giving them room to improvise is maybe even more realistic. So it's not like one of those Hollywood films when everything is clean and mm-hmm. and the conversations like flow the, the way you expect them to. So it's like people are shouting over each other, they talk over each other, when the fear kicks in It just exactly feels Hollywood would uh, happen if right now somebody's trapped, you know, if seven people are trapped in the elevator, uh, and there's a fear of coronavirus, and I think uh, what is important to know is that, again, this is very artistic and symbolic, film so where, you know, this elevator is like our life, you know, we're going on daily life, and it gets stuck, so you know, the coronavirus, in a way, like, you know, took us by surprise, the same way that, you know, the elevator being stuck took us by surprise, when there's a problem, what do we do? Do we point at each other, um, you know, point figure at each other, or do we find a solution? But it, it makes them and force them to come up with a solution, right. and work together as humans, race because each character in the elevator re- represents you know um, a race in the society so how do we work together as one race uh, to fight this because now it doesn't belong to any certain race well it that's that's a very good fight.
0: point to make now now mustafa i'm almost out of time and and i want to know when we can see it i've seen the trailer and i'm most yeah. intrigued uh, and we apparently going to start streaming online in late april any further details you can share with us this morning
1: uh, yes, so we wanted to go to the festival circuit originally, but with all the theaters and festivals being closed, we're going straight to uh, streaming platforms and it's a film that is relevant and people hopefully are going to watch it soon. We are reviewing offers and uh, very important uh, note that uh, we're going to donate part of our profits in China and Asian countries to uh, uh, help Canadians with, to, with the medical supplies and give it to the uh, charities that, you know, they could help with that.
0: Excellent. So I'm going to leave it there. The film. I have to leave yeah. it there. Thank you, and I wish you good luck with this film, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. We'll tell you right here on CKNW Mornings when Corona is available online. Uh, it's Sterling Fox with you, and uh, I'm a TELUS uh, cell phone subscriber, so in my email box the other day, I got the same one that most TELUS subscribers got. The headline was, TELUS Health enables 26,000 Canadian family doctors to conduct virtual visits with their parents patients. Here to flesh out the story and tell us more is Luke Volandre, the president of TELUS Health and Payment Solutions. Mr. Volandre, Luke, welcome to the program. Good morning.
2: Good morning. Good morning.
0: How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Uh, tell us a little bit more about right. this new twist to the plot. From tell us again, the timing is impeccable in in terms of people. I I was talking earlier, Luke. I've I've had a doctor's appointment of my own, uh, just cancelled out right. Not even postponed. Got the email. The the, the the We'll we'll try again some other time. Don't even don't even reply. So uh, it's the timing is 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 excellent in terms of people really struggling in many cases. Just just to connect with their doctors.
2: Yes, exactly. And uh, that's the objective that uh, we uh, have been pursuing right since the uh, outbreak of COVID-19 to uh, enable our physician. Uh, as you mentioned, we have 26,000 physicians that are using our EMR platform, the electronic medical record, right? <laughs> and uh, it was very important for TELUS to uh, provide a tool for... Uh, to uh, enable those physicians to have uh, video consults uh, with their patients given uh, the, uh, you know, the need that uh, just uh, arise from, from the COVID-19 situation. So teams have been working uh, literally around the clock for uh, a couple of weeks and then we were able to uh, release this uh, you know, on April 8th. Uh, it's, it's getting ramped up uh, in all clinics and being available to all the physicians across the country. Uh, where we will have, like, a full production by about mid uh, to end of next week.
0: Interesting. Now, the initial uh, impact area is mostly Ontario and Quebec, as I understand it, at the beginning. Is that the case?
2: Well, actually, uh, we have a a number of uh, electronic medical record platforms. When we, uh, you know, have uh, got into uh, this industry segment, we we did, you know, a number of acquisitions. Uh, and uh, we had to uh, uh, one of the complexity in deploying that uh, video consultation uh, service was to make it available to all the platforms we have. Right now, uh, it is uh, available on all platforms and okay. being deployed uh, indeed, but also in the West. I, you know, at first we wanted also to ensure that uh, to beta testing that we would have like a, I would say a very uh, uh, robust tool uh, in the hands of physician with you know all the uh, security and high availability in terms of how it would be working between the patient and the physician. So at this stage, we're like in full rollout uh, across the country.
0: Yeah, um, we're speaking with Luke Valandre, president of Telus Health. Uh, I have a lawyer friend uh, who was diagnosed with COVID nineteen via teleconference. She had a, a virtual visit with a doctor uh, after being in the United States and traveling back to Canada and uh, not feeling well and uh, you know exhibiting many of the COVID nineteen symptoms to the point where she panicked and and uh, couldn't get a, a doctor and didn't want to necessarily go to a doctor in order to uh, not infect other people and was effectively diagnosed over the phone and i guess we're going to see more and more of this distance uh, medicine uh, in in these crucial times this is an addition to obviously uh, medical uh, uh, doctor patient communications platforms that exist already
2: no exactly and i think the you know the covid-19 uh, crisis has uh, accelerated, of course, a lot of the virtual care uh, tools that, uh, you know, uh, are made available in the health ecosystem Sure. Uh, because of the physical segregation, of course, that uh, uh, has been, you know, a, a necessary uh, situation. But uh, uh, those tools, uh, uh, I think, uh, are going to be uh, uh, used, of course, very heavily uh, until we, we resolve the, the crisis itself but we will also uh, remain uh, very active into the uh, uh, day-to-day uh, work of the physician across the country. And, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that the, the physical, uh, you know, meeting with the patient, uh, you know, will not be the, still the core uh, approach to, uh, you know, to uh, basically uh, do the diagnostic or, or have the discussion and, and with the patient. But uh, we think it's going to become, you know, an hybrid model where there's going to be, uh, both uh, physical and virtual consult that will be made available, depending on the cases and and how it applies
0: absolutely i couldn 't agree with you more luke i think you 're absolutely on to something here that it, this uh, and it is pretty much where I think we are unanimously uh, decided that this pandemic is a game changer, Luke. After this, once we get to the point where a vaccine is available and, and life begins to uh, resemble what we remember normal, uh, I don't think it's going to ever be the same, though. And I think that your emphasis on increasing technology and the access of the individual to his or her physician, either in person or via visual uh, virtual visits, I think we're going to see more and more wide acceptance of this as a very viable option.
2: Yeah, you're totally right. I think, uh, you know, the necessity of the situation has created uh, an opportunity for uh, Every one of us you know the, the healthcare professional uh, or us that tell us you know technology providers uh, to uh, to manage change right to, to to get right in in the heart of a change management uh, situation uh, and uh, you're right that I think it, you know that this will prevail in this case what's uh, great also about the way uh, the application has been integrated uh, into the uh, electronic medical record well it enables the physician right to Uh, ensure continuity of care uh, and and being able to work uh, both on the consult, on the video consult, but also within the uh, functionality of the uh, electronic medical records. So either it's for medical notes or accessing the patient file. So that is really well integrated into the workflow and uh, as you say, will surely uh, continue to prevail uh, after COVID-19 is something of the past. Hopefully, uh, as rapidly as as we can get this result.
0: Indeed, Luke. Uh, But I I think uh, if I I haven't emphasized that from the beginning of the conversation, you just came back to a very important point because we are familiar, as I mentioned, my lawyer friend who was diagnosed on the phone, et cetera, we are familiar with the virtual uh, patient physician conference. However, this new wrinkle or this new twist from TELUS allows the physician to not only have the visual contact with the patient, but also to have absolute access to the entire medical file of that individual while in conference at the same time. It's all live and it's all simultaneous.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, the uh, physician can launch uh, the video consult from the EMR uh, you know with the very simple access for both uh, the patient and the physician, meaning right. that, uh, you, know, a, 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 uh, you know, a consult has been scheduled. Uh, when the consult is, uh, is on, just click on the link, get connected, and still have access. So it's very close to a physical visit. Of course, uh, you know, our physician, uh, you know, or any physician would tell you that, uh, you know, being uh, physically close to a patient, there's things that you can... Uh, do like touch the patient, meaning that you you can perform you know some 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 of the different uh, uh, you know things in the process that mm-hmm. uh, you know can't be done with virtually video, but, sure but it, it, it's the closest it's the closest to the the the, the physical reality right and enabling to uh, do a diagnosis and have like a complete interaction. You know, uh, with the patient uh, while you you are doing the diagnosis.
0: Interesting. We used to think about this uh, form of technology, Luke, being in the second largest country on Earth with a tiny, tiny population, as being really practical, particularly for Canadians living in isolated areas, not near the big cities or the U.S. border, where most of us live. Uh, But now this this is this has gone well beyond that, and this is now everyday uh, uh, accessibility for virtually every. Canadian, correct? Yeah, correct. And uh, you know, there's
2: many forms that uh, you know the video consult or the virtual care can be deployed. Uh, we have uh, a number of other solutions, as you know. Uh, uh, in, in Telus, I mean, uh, you're familiar in BC with uh, our Babylon platform. Sure, where, yeah. You know, can have a you know access to a, a physician. Uh, if you don't have a family physician, it gives you an access that you didn't have before. We have uh, our Akira platform that uh, we uh, are uh, you know channeling through the employers uh, where you can have access to nurse nurse practitioner almost instantly right so so more and more, I think that virtual care aspect will be a complement of I would say the uh, traditional uh, way that we've been uh, serving the Patients uh, and the public in general, and will enable an access to primary care that will be uh, unmet, uh, you know, as, as, as you know, compared to what we had before. So, absolutely, it's, it's great, great stride into you know, helping the patients to just have a base better experience and, and get all Canadians to, to live better lives at the end of the day, right? That, that, that's, what, that's what we pursue as a mission.
0: Well, congratulations on this to you and your team, Luke Valandre. Keep up the good work, and thanks for joining us this morning. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Luke Volandre is uh, president of TELUS Health and Payment Solutions. That uh, addition to TELUS Health is now available across Canada, and if it's not it in our area yet, it will be by this time next week. Jason Tetro is with us this morning. Jason is host of the Super Awesome Science Show podcast. Jason, welcome back. It's good to have you with us. Hey, it's good to be joining you. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, a few things to talk about this morning, Jason. Uh, notably, Uh, The package that, uh, well, there's two packages to talk about. One, the package that's coming, that will be the the small business relief package the government of Canada is going to pass later today. But let's talk about the measures that are already out there and the millions of Canadians who have responded.
3: Well, I mean, think about it. Um, We have never really seen this in the modern day era. Um, you know, it's about the same as what we saw with the 1918 flu. But look at how much we've progressed since that time. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden we have to come to a screeching halt. <laughs> and just think about how that's going to affect everybody. We're so used to being 24 7, just going, going, going. And now all of a sudden it's stop. And so, all of the things that we've been told, you know, when it comes to financial security, making sure that you've got, you know, uh, you know, a nice nest egg, these types of things, things we never really have thought about, all of a sudden, are the most important things in the world. Because, well, if you're not getting a paycheck, or you can't go out and get something, um, or you can't make your own money, it's going to be really tough. So. It's nice that the
0: government is offering this right now. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of critical, isn't it?
3: Well, exactly.
0: So that if the uh, I suppose it's it's people trying to link together uh, the short-term relief uh, unbelievably welcome of course Jason but you know even those who who are counting on it and for whom it will make a difference can clearly understand this is temporary so uh, I, I wanted to connect the dots between the uncertainty surrounding all of this even if short-term relief is indeed provided and it's starting to arrive mm-hmm. uh, and. The fact, though, that people are still in many ways panicking. And, yeah. we, and we see that, Jason, uh, I, and I know that uh, we're defiant and we have plans and nothing's going to interfere with it. But take a look at the ferry lineups yesterday uh, mm. as, you know, all those boats were packed. Now, we're having reduced service, so it, it's, it's likely that the boats are going to be full. But this was, again, full of people who not all of whom necessarily needed to be there in the first place that they just had to get out.
3: Yeah, and and I think this is something that is, um, I guess, ingrained in human nature. You know, we want to go out, we want to explore, and when we're told that we have to be at home, stay at home, whatever it may be, um, it becomes sort of something that, uh, I don't know how you put it, it's like you know how we don't like being told what
0: to do? Mm-hmm. Very much, yes.
3: <laughs> and so the thing is, is if all of a sudden someone, you know, for, for how many years and years and years, we've constantly been told, get out of the house, go around, go have a great time. And now we're being told the exact opposite. Right. And it's done in such a way that not only is it imperative that you stay at home, but if you don't do that, we're going to bring in laws to get, write you you know, tickets and and maybe even possibly put you into quarantine facilities. I mean, it's like going back to the 1700s when we had smallpox and cholera. So in that context, people are not going to believe that we could possibly venture that far back into the dark ages of health and medicine without having some kind of, you know, lax period where they're like, oh, well, you know, it's Easter weekend, so it doesn't really
0: count. Right, right, exactly. But you know, the the big difference, of course, between now and 300 years ago is that we have remedies. Now, we don't yet, Jason. You're, you're the microbiology <laughs> and infectious disease expert in this conversation, not me. But we don't yet have that remedy. We don't have a virus. We have better testing methodology, and it's getting better and faster by the day. Mm-hmm. But we're still, a, it seems, it feels like quite a distance from that vaccine remedy and i'm thinking about six weeks from today jason that'll be the 24th of may weekend Mm -hmm. the traditional let's blow it out and bring on summer weekend so if people are antsy this weekend you think it's going to last another six weeks and what kind of shape will we be in on the 24th of may
3: well, I mean, when you hear it from the politicians, it almost seems as if they're they're already waiting for that to happen and saying, you know, let's slow down. Let's look at Canada Day as being the coming out party, right. okay? And we'll just leave the May 2-4 for, you know, you can still have your 2-4, just make sure you're having it at home with your family and friends in Zoom. That's right. Um, but the thing is that... It is natural for us to continue to want to go out, and as the weather gets warmer, we are going to want to have that ability to get out of the house. Um, It's tough. I'm I'm not going to lie to you, but the fact is that until we have the proper testing where we can test absolutely everybody, and remember in Vancouver, they're only testing people who are coming out of the population into the targeted zone, so this virus may still be spreading around. It's just that it's not leading to these severe diseases. Right. Uh, you know, that's, that's the way we kind of look at it from a protect the, the most vulnerable perspective, and, and BC is doing a fantastic job of that. The problem is, is that not everybody is doing the same thing as Dr. Bonnie Henry is doing, right. so we have to constantly be worried about is the virus going to start, you know, coming up from somewhere else, and we're seeing that now in East Asia with Singapore and Hong Kong and even South Korea. And the fact is that, well, until everybody is doing this in unity and solidarity, we're going to have to maintain a bit more of a harsh line when it comes to social distancing, physical distancing, and staying at home. So, in, you know, it's funny. They always say, you know, let's not blame one person. Let's just kind of, you know, try and spread the blame around. Mm. Well, in this particular case... Until some of the other countries get their acts in gear, we're the ones who are going to be suffering for
0: it. Indeed, you mentioned South Korea, and I'm I'm glad you did because I saw a very disturbing item from South Korea just yesterday, Jason, in which patients who had and been diagnosed with COVID-19 had successfully weathered the storm and Mm -hmm. fully recovered have now been re-diagnosed. So the notion that getting the virus and getting through it grants you some kind of immunity seems to be going by the wayside here. Well, I mean, you shouldn't be
3: surprised. (laughs) Uh, Common colds come every year, and this thing spreads like the common cold. Um, And so the fact is that we may end up having uh, cycles now, we were lucky with SARS. We stamped it out. Yes. It was just too deadly. But this one isn't deadly enough. And as a result of that, um, we've got sort of a catch-22, whereby we have the Jekyll, which is the, um, you know, it, it spreads just like the common cold, and it might actually get back into you each and every year. Right. And then we have the Hyde, that is if you happen to be really stressed, obese, hypertensive, uh, have diabetes, have kidney diseases, have lung problems you're probably going to end up having a much more um, troublesome infection and may even end up in the hospital. Yeah. So it, what it really is showing is that, you know, all the people who have said that you really should be eating healthy and you should try and live a healthy life and not, you know, work-life balance and everything like that? All, all that stuff, yeah. showing us why we should be doing that.
0: Interesting stuff. So let's let's take a look then at uh, the the possible uh, again. We're we're looking at the advice we're getting, and, and you've already uh, alluded to uh, laws because it appears that advice and guidelines and and directives from the public health uh, officer, in our case, Doctor Bonnie Henry, and uh, government officials like Adrian Dix, uh, guidelines and advisories. Uh, are effective for the most part, Jason, up until you have an opportunity to escape and then clearly not as effective as one would have hoped. So what do you think, and I'm asking you to speculate here, what do you think the next step will be? Will they have to move to more draconian enforcement?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, and, and the thing is, is, you know, if you look back to, uh, to 1755, and this was New York City, um, they had smallpox. So what they would do is they would see a ship and they would know that smallpox was on it. So they would quarantine the ship and essentially keep it off, uh, off the, um, the coast, right? right? right. <laughs> Sound familiar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happened is that people started dying. So, of course, you're like, mm. so they brought them into harbor and then they had a, a law that essentially said that it had to stay there and no one could move without um, going within a certain distance of the premises,
0: also sound familiar uh, like the ships at anchor at english bay this morning exactly. exactly exactly
3: and then what ends up happening is that you start having trickling out <laughs> and people start going out of, of that zone, and then all of a sudden you have to bring in the new state of the law, which is simply not that um, all the crew and, and people who are associated with that have to be isolated and watched, but now anybody who associates with any of the individuals from the crew have to be reported to the health authorities. Right. This actually happened, believe it or not, September 11th, 1755. Interesting. So... Yeah, 9-11 is huge for the Americans in so many bad ways. It's amazing. Mm. Um, but when all of that came down to it, basically the overall rule of law by uh, a few years later simply was this. If you see someone who's sick, you report that person,
0: period. And, then, and now in 2020 in, in British Columbia, we have three one one for exactly that purpose. Exactly. Interesting Smith stuff. lines
3: are the next level, and unfortunately, that's how humans do it.
0: Jason, i got to leave it there. Thank you for this. Great to talk to you. Uh, Where do our listeners find the Super Awesome Science Show podcast? We
3: are on all podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the Super Awesome Science Show. We're working on season two. We're not going to let this pandemic get in the way of having some fun, making you laugh, making you cry, and learning some fun along the way.
0: Thanks for this, Jason. We must do this again soon.